Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is, I'm Peter Whittle. Now there is an article in this month's co uh, copy of The Critic magazine, which uh, we've talked about before, and it's called The Tribe That Disappeared, and it's about the white working class. It's written by the author and journalist Michael Collins, who is with me today. Michael, back in 2004, wrote a book, this one here, called The Likes of Us, a biography of the white working class. It was called a seminal book when it came out, and indeed it went on to win the George Orwell Prize for Political Writing. I'm delighted that Michael's joining me now. Thanks very much, Michael. That's okay. um, first of all, The Tribe That Disappeared is the title of this article this month. Um, and you've obviously written about this yeah. for a long time. Um, what is the basic premise of what you're talking about in your article? Um, I think it's 15 years on from the book, um, and there's been uh, there's been a number of changes because in in the um, the book I talk about the demonize, demonization of the white working yeah. class. Um, I think it's got much more over uh, in those 15 years, and now it's almost like the the white working class was kind of defined by the left in a way, as shorthand, I think, for racism, racist, basically. Yeah. And now I think it's the left that are saying this is a political construct. This is a, a this is a, a fiction, basically. A fiction. Yeah. So the um, I, th I think within that, it's it's almost like the, uh, the they're kind of being erased from the present. The idea of the white working class being erased from the present because of this, because it's saying it's a construct. The the, the working class is this multicultural, you know, diverse tribe of people. Um, and also, I think the past is being taken away from uh, people that might put themselves into that category as white working class because the past is kind of being fictionalized and being represented as this kind of, um, um, kind of all singing, all dancing multicultural past which of course is, isn't the case mm. so I think that's that's where it's that's where it's changed it's, it's become a, the contempt has become a lot more overt and and there is this idea that the, there is no such thing as the white working class they they're part of the working class and they're if they're kind of um, seen as this uh, this tribe that's all being duped by capitalism but yes. they're not being given the status of a kind of ethnic group while, or, or any kind of status where everyone else in that yeah. melting pot so-called is, is actually getting some kind of some kind of status so I think that's where we are with it now 15 years on you know and uh, when you wrote the book originally uh, it was quite it was actually quite you know a new well it was quite revolutionary in a way I mean people had not written about the white working class um, why did you actually decide to write the book in the first place um, I think it's because of, I think it's having, our generation had witnessed something, yeah. I think, in in terms of growing up um, in London and uh, being part of a kind of urban, um, I suppose like an urban tribe, you know, that, that was unique to a city, yeah. you know, post-industrial um, uh, class of people that grew up within the city, very insular, even though you're in the capital, very insular, very localised, working locally, living locally, and expecting to stay within those streets yes. pretty much for yeah. their life, which I think our parents and our grandparents pretty much did, almost. Um, 
and I think our generation maybe saw the last of something there because we saw the change in uh, demographic within that area, which which came quite, you know, 50s onwards particularly, but much more so in the 80s and 70s. And also, um, I think I think the change in the landscape. You know, we kind of you had a London that was very much like um, uh, that kind of. Victorian heritage of very civic, the civic, the, the civic buildings, yes, you know, the town yeah. hall, the library, the swimming baths, and then you had the places of work. So that industrial kind of heritage was still there. We had the docks down the road, and then we witnessed how the, the infrastructures of those neighbourhoods changed because um, the kind of massive brutalist housing estates that we kind of welcomed in, in some ways because of what they brought in terms of where people could live. Did a, did a BBC documentary about this, about council housing, um, and, and particularly the brutalist council housing. So that that changed the neighbourhood as well. And it's it's just almost like I think we um, we just witnessed these huge changes. And when I wrote the book, it felt partly like the end of something there, because there was the, this diaspora where people were s yeah. selling up yeah. or, or just moving out and becoming homeowners in the sort of donut ring of, um, of London in those suburbs. Um, which, on mass, which was new, and also around the same time, the beginnings of this idea of um, talking of, of the white working class in, entirely in terms of being um, racist, um, ignorant, reactionary, la largely from people that had grown up in very white middle class yeah. <laughs> and still lived in very white middle class backgrounds, and could move or could escape, you know, because it's like, it's like what David Goodhart talks about, the somewheres and, and the nowheres, you know, it's very, it was very apparent to me that that's exactly where we were with this. These, the, a lot of these people, even though they moved out, a lot of the people, you know, remained there and, and saw all these changes, the, the older generation, I mean. But it's very much, I suppose people would call it cultural history, wouldn't they? Because, um, Maybe. I, you know. Or memoir, partly. It's yeah. partly memoir. It's very much through your own experience isn't it because you it, it's based a lot of it around elephant and castle mm. in london isn't mm. it which has seen huge sort of changes mm. what was the reaction to the book when it came out um well i think the reviews were great sometimes they were <laughs> they were good uh, largely um the criticism was really, you know, this, it was. I had to push to get the subtitle, and I think the criticism was with the biography the, uh, of the white working class. Yeah, and I think that was the problem. I think because you weren't, it's like I said earlier, because you weren't talking gen more generally about the working class, but defining the white working class in that way, I think was seen as a bit controversial. And also, um, the criticism of it were. You know, there was some someone called me a poetic hooligan. Someone else said I was giving, because I start with the Stephen Lawrence um, story or murder. The um, said I was giving an intellectual alibi for the Lawrence killers. So there's a lot of that going on. You know, it's mm -hmm. trying to quite mm -hmm. obvious stuff mm -hmm. to pull in out. I mean, and the strange enough, the further left you went in terms of the reviews, the more extreme it got. So I, you know, by the end of it, I really was being compared to Oswald Mosley. So it was, or Hitler even. So it was, it was, that was kind of silly. But when you actually spoke to um, individual editors or columnists, a lot of them got it, you know, mm. whether of the left or the right. And also, the, the essay that, that was the impetus for the book was in The Observer. And there was a number of papers that wanted to run excerpts. And I went with The Guardian, you know, because um, uh, I, I kind of felt it was very much that kind of um, 
readership that needed some instruction on this subject. Yeah. You know. You're talking on, you know, in the book, but also in your most recent, in, the, in this month's mm. article, about the demonization mm. of the working class. I mean, uh, which seems to me to be without question. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, you know, in the past, say, like four years, we've had Brexit. Mm. You know, how has it shown itself there? How has that demonization shown itself in this past period? Uh, I think with Brexit, it was, um, I think that was a long time coming, you know, it was kind of like, uh, it, it wasn't a huge surprise in terms of the result. For, uh, certainly I think a lot of people wanted the opportunity, not even just to do with Europe, but to, to actually voice their opinion about a particular mindset yeah, that they yeah. equated with that. I thought what was very interesting was, in, in the book I talk about in the 19th century, how you had these political missionaries and religious missionaries that went into these areas to sort of educate yeah. the masses yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know and they were really concerned about the future of you know especially sort of utopian socialists they were quite concerned because they thought when you give health and when you give welfare and work to the working class and they then have a bit of money where, what are they going to spend it on you know they're worried about vice and gambling and so they started talking in terms of, you, you can find it, you find it somewhere like Masterman in um, The Condition of England where they talk about the working class on the other side of the river um, coming up like rats from the sewer and waving their flags. And there was a lot of that going on after Brexit. It was almost like these 19th yes. century um, missionaries. It's like, it's like Matthew Arnold when he talked about the populace. You know, it was, it was suddenly this, so you heard this voice from these people that had come up from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. And you saw that in a lot of the... That's when I think it was really overt, this kind of contempt, because suddenly it was this emphasis on people's education, their lack of O-levels and their lack of university education, or they were, oh, it was false consciousness, yeah. or they weren't um, told the facts. It was this incredibly patronising approach. And, and I think what, what hasn't happened, what, what, what should happen is... We've had a lot, you know, even with people like John Snow talking about how white the, the mark, you know. That's right, I've, n I've never seen so many white people. Yeah, exactly, the, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he'd been on Glastonbury two years before. Um, <laughs> and so um, I think what we've not had, we've had a lot, including, you know, with the statues, the people protecting the statues, we had a lot about the people that are involved in Brexit, that have an opinion about these statues that don't have qualifications. Mm didn't go to university, I think we should start looking at the ignorance of the educated. I think we should start looking at those people with exams and with degrees, whether the Black Lives Matter, Matter marches or whatever else, and let's actually look at their opinions and see how informed they are. These are the so-called educated, and I think you'd be quite surprised. I've got a feeling I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> actually, uh, but I know exactly the point you're making. It's extraordinary. They've been taught, they've been taught enough hmm. to be able to believe certain things mm. and that's it mm. you know um like i mean we come from sort of similar areas you know my family were originally from peckham mm. just down the road mm. uh from elephant castle Posh. in london <laughs> and uh basically I, I remember when i read your book i was really quite moved by it because mm. it was a whole way of life which do, it's not just sort of gone but it's sort of it's it's actually been buried mm. I mean, that, that to me it seems to me the crucial hmm. point, that there sort of, it's actually been as though it was never there. Hmm. Uh, you alluded to this at the beginning. 
Hmm. Um, what was your, tell us a bit about your family. What was your family about? Oh, well, well, I mean, before I get to that, I was just going to say the other thing about the book that was quite interesting at the time was the, if it, if it was successful at all, it was actually read by a lot of the people that it was about, judging by the feedback I got. So it, whether they were in the north or the south, mm -hmm. it was kind of like um, of England or, or, you know, even Scotland or elsewhere, there was... Um, it, it was an experience that chimed with a lot of people of several yeah. generations. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I came from just down the road from you, between the Elephant and Old Kent Road, and of course, it, it really was taken away, you know, because that, that neighbourhood I grew up with, I saw that transition, where a whole, uh, the infrastructure in the neighbourhood, where there was schools, tabernacles, a high street, everything was taken out and replaced with a brutalist yes. estate, you know, which was uh, inspired like Le, by Le, Le Cabuzier, but by that point, even the architects had disowned a lot of that kind of, yes. those kind of estates. So, that, so in some ways it, it has been eradicated, but yeah, I mean, I, I was very typical of that because um, parents had been there for generations, maternal, uh, sorry, paternal grandparents, publicans in that area, family, dad's family worked in the market, my dad been a bookie, um, eventually worked in the print, mum a clerk and then a cleaner when I was a kid. So yeah, very much like uh, that kind of typical uh, South London um, background to some extent. And then school as well, the comp, comprehensive, was was closer to where you were. So it was, the intake was from Camberwell, Brixton and Woolworth. And that was, that was an interesting moment because again it was a different experience. It was yeah. the 70s. So you were you had that kind of old school teacher that usually taught you about containerization or, or maths, you know, where they yeah. were very strict and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, would love to have caned you. No, not in a sort of perverse way. Maybe it was. Um, and then the other ones were the ones that, that post-68 students moved into those areas, kind of um, would say things like, exams mean nothing, bringing Bob Marley albums, you know. Um, had Angela Davis posters in their flat, which they'd all tell you about. They'd, they'd try and, it, it was posturing really, but yeah. it was their politics, they were placed on you. And it's like, you know, it's like I said in the book, I think, I said, we didn't know where the tuck shop was. So, you know, we really didn't know care who Angela, Angela Davis was. But, so you had these two things going on. And also that area at the time and that school was quite a mixture because you had lots of, you know, quite percentage of white kids, percentage of black kids, and it was quite, that was quite unusual at the time, I think, and that was very specific to uh, maybe that part of London. Because that's an interesting point, which you actually make in this book too, and it's in my experience too, mm. is that uh, working class people um, have much more experience of genuine ethnic diversity, mm. in fact, you know, at school, into marriage, this, and, and yet the criticism mm. of them comes from people who are almost entirely White. I mean, mm. you know, li the liberal, our old friends, the liberal, you know, Elite. intelligentsia, yeah, for want yeah. of a better word. But they're the people who have, will, you know, talk about racism and all the rest of it, and yet they have, you know, far less experience mm. of kind of, you know, ethnic diversity. And still do. I, I, think, I think with that, though, what's interesting about that now, um, uh, where a, a lot of the... Um, columnist or a lot of the pundits that talk about this subject from a kind of upper middle class background, um, I almost think they feel themselves colourless um, mm -hmm. in a way, but the strange thing is what gives them 
of their, their pedigree is their status and their class. Mm. You know, it's, it's an old-fashioned idea, but I do, and, and it seems very weird for these people, you know, talking, they've always talked about representing the working class or the underdog, and you, th you think, well, when you peel it back, there's quite a contempt for that underdog. So who exactly do you represent? Who are you actually, you know, yeah. s supporting or championing these days? But yeah, I don't think that changes. I mean, I've seen it so often. You've seen it in journalism and television. Yeah. The amount of people that, you know, they do all that, but they are they are the they 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 escape. You know, give it ten years, and they'll be they'll they'll be somewhere where it'll be a white neighbourhood. They're sending the kids to a private school, and they're buying an Arga. You know, it's very different. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other people there, you know, they're up some are landlocked. Some people eventually moved out. I, th I think the interesting thing about that as well with, with the whole race issue is we kind of covered it because we had to, mm. you know, way back. We weren't our parents. We weren't no, no. that. Our, our experience was different because of our mates, because we had black partners or whatever. Mm. And so it seems really weird that now, f f for us, 40 odd years later, we are being educated on this subject mm. by people that didn't have that experience, yeah, exactly. you know. Mm. Do you see that, that, I mean, that, that seems to be very much in full force at the moment. Mm. But the one thing that the protests that we've had recently, you know, in the background, so they are not really, they're not about class, are they, no. at all? No. They're, they're not about, they're not about uh, inequality, economic inequality, they're about identity politics, aren't mm. they? And basically, White working class people are not allowed that, are they? Mm. Isn't, isn't that really what it is? Well, it was never on the um, it, w it was never on the table, was it? They never ever they covered everything with um, gender, sexuality, race, but they never ever got to class. I mean, it's, it's beginning to happen now. The BBC are trying in terms of the way they recruit, but it's very heavy-handed because um, uh, it's kind of what you want is an equality of, um, of opportunity. You just yeah. want the opportunities, but obviously we're on to the uh, the equality of outcome now, which again marginalises people, you know, because if if because social class doesn't entirely come into that. But yeah, I think the I, th I think what's happened with that as well is very interesting because all this stuff about the working the white working class being on their last, and um, uh, you know, as I said earlier, they're just it's it's just a, it's just a political fiction according to the left. It's, it's remarkable, though. Isn't well, it? it's they can even get away with yeah. calling something a political, a group that was the biggest group in the country, mm. obviously after industrialization, mm. is now being called a political fiction or a construct. Mm. You know. Well, it's still. I think the other thing they don't realise is they're talking in. It's kind of a talking equivalent old money because the, uh, the, you know, the working class has changed certainly in terms of the makeup of it and the, and the demographic, but also, if you're going to define the white working class, that's changed as well. Because why what I covered in the book and what I cover in the article, I use the term because it's just something it's a term that was put on this group of people I'm writing about. But that is not talking in entirely in terms of economics. Because you're talking about people that moved up. You're talking about people that moved out. And there's never really been a term for people that actually make it say into the lower middle class and become homeowners or be, or own their own business and don't go to university. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I think happened with Brexit. Suddenly they had a name and that name was ill-educated. You know, they suddenly were yeah. defined in that way. But the, 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 the other thing you're saying about, you know, the, the white work class, I, I think they're not part of that dialogue on identity politics, but they are kind of pulling up a chair and watching 
as it completely implodes, yeah. as it as those groups mm. subdivide and subdivide and attack each other, yeah. you know, which is the kind of logical outcome yeah. of that kind of ident yeah. identity politics, isn't it? It's interesting, you see, because my my family were from Birkenau, but like you just described there, my parents went and got their own home in in Tudor Hill, which was suburban, you know, yeah, a step up definitely, um, and I suppose you would have called that lower middle class, I guess, I don't know. But I suppose what it is, is that what we're seeing over the past few months is this attack on various things that working class people hold very dear, you know, whether it's our statues, whether it's our history and, mm. and the various heroes. They don't, but in other words, their context mm. is the context. Mm. And that is what's become under sustained attack or is still being attacked, isn't mm. it? Yeah, I, I, this is another thing that interests me, with, um, which I tried to allude to in the article, because I'm always very interested in the those people that ask that condition of England question. You know, that they actually think this is this is the time for a kind of audit to see where we are, and to see what values we share, and to see um, uh, you know what common ground there is. And so that that was the, there's an element of that with the book but certainly i mentioned in the article something like Marston was a condition of england or even orwell when orwell tried to define this idea of englishness or britishness and i almost think that's where we are now and i i did think you know this was the whole pandemic was the chance for this people to sort of settle down take a breather have some shore leave and decide what what is actually going to bring people together and in, it's it's you know king mobs Turned, turned it into something else. Now. It's not worked out that way, no. has it? No, and it's, it's getting worse. I mean, this, this is the strange thing. I mean, I, 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 I'm not entirely comfortable with using... Yeah, I know I've written a book about the white working class, but it covers so much ground and it covers yeah, so many yeah. people. And, it, and it's not entirely even about race anymore. It's just about a group of people that probably are out there as a silent majority um, who have a share shared experience and a shared outlook yeah. and they don't find that they don't recognize that in the media or anywhere else and they strangely enough the one place they have found it in the last 15 years is within social media because there's voices out that they recognize and there's things they want to hear mm. you know you you talk as well and i have talked written not just in the book about the way in which working class people have been uh and are characterized and uh the way that they are depicted, you know, mm. on screen, mm. and I remember we've talked about people like Mike Lee, mm. and, you know, on the one hand, you've got Mike Lee and Abigail's mm. party, and this kind of, what is, I always found, condescending, mm. basically, it was condescending, even though everyone thought it was wonderful, and then on the other hand, you've got Ken Loach, who's mm. hugely sentimentalised, I think mm. you could say, on the one hand, um, but those figures are largely now, amazingly, in the past, aren't mm. they? They're, they're past, they're powerful. How does it show itself now? I mean, how does it, how does that kind, how are working class people depicted, if they are indeed depicted at all culturally? Well, I, th I think there's still an element of that. I mean, with someone like Loach, they, um, I always felt like he was kind of grafted in a sort of um, uh, a working class onto an agenda, and the people were the victims of the worst examples of of those issues, it's almost like they were kind of like Job or Condide or someone. You know, the worst possible things would always happen to them. I think the Mike Lee, uh, you know, ever since Abigail in Abigail's pie, when she puts the Beaujolais in the pot in the um, in the fridge, there's always been that that mocking of 
working class people that somehow, as I said, they make their way up, but they don't make their way into the middle classes for education. They make money, or they own their own businesses, they buy houses, and it's always, that's always there. There's always, they've got the wrong taste. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they buy the wrong food. They say, you know, that the whole Del Boy thing, they, they pronounce words wrong, you know. It's, um, I think there's still an element of that, but element of that, but I think the other thing that's, it's, it's much more specific in a way, because you only have to see, um, uh, you have to see certain, certain journalists or columnists or even you know in television they will go into an area where it is largely white now and, and that is it that's enough for that 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 becomes they've exposed something almost like they were clowns clownsmen or something with yeah, burning yeah, crosses yeah, yeah. you know and I, I don't think they even bother with the fact that someone's you know buys the wrong wine anymore. I think it's just simply that. It's shorthand for something else now. This happened last year. I live in the West Country and the, um, before the election I bumped into a Guardian journalist down there who came in um, and, and he said to me, so who are the movers and shakers down here? I said, I'm not going to tell you because I know what you're going to do. And I said, it'd be like when Polly Toynbee went to the Isle of Wight. I know exactly what you're going to do. Um, I said, if you really want to meet the people here and you want that diversity, instead of just writing about a place that's largely white, I said, go to Morrison's, go to the estates on the outskirts, go to the gym. And then you'll see a mixture of people, that some from London, yeah. different backgrounds, different histories. That, that's a diversity. Mm. No one is being prevented from moving here. You know, mm. and then a couple of hours, a couple of hours later, I saw him and the cameraman. He said, "You're going to hate what we've done," and he said, "We've just filmed um, an elderly couple playing croquet." I said, "Of course you have. Yeah, of yeah, course yeah. you have." Yeah. And there it was, the cover the next day. And you think, what a lost opportunity! You know, it's, yeah. it's just. Well, well, where would you? Have it? The thing is, is that this level of self-hate. Mm. You know, it's just sometimes overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, well, you might say, well, then it's not self-hate because they don't, don't hate, hate themselves. But this desire to actually show, the, look at, you know, mm. like Emily Thornberry mm. with her famous tweet. Mm. She just put it there. Mm. It was a white man with mm. a George cross on outside a house. Mm. She didn't even have to say, she was obviously saying, look at this. Mm. Just well, yeah. terrible. I, yeah, but look at her. I mean, look at look. At, no, but I mean, look at her. I mean, look at the story there. Look at the story there. You know, I mean, it is entirely uh, that. In, that I know it's such a cliche, but it is that Islington dinner party set. You know, mm. it, again, I really think it'd be interesting to turn this around as in terms of, as I said before, you talk about the ill-educated working class. Let's look at the educated and see, you know, yes. how thick some of those those are and I think the same with with the Formbrys I mean she's kind of old news now but I mean a lot of those people let's let's actually look at them let's let's mm. actually let's look at them and their status the way we talk about people like you know that make this that, that move to Eltham or you know or buy their own house and they're mocked because of their taste and because of their outlook mm. let's let's have a look at let's let's put those under the under the uh, let's put them in the spotlight and see exactly what their lives are like and what their opinions really are because it comes out like that and, and that's just that's an old example but I mean there are so many more cases post Brexit where you kind of um, well that's that thing about Carolyn Flint said about her as well yes but I mean she's just one example she's probably not even the worst example you, know. you mentioned there about you know this whole thing about being ill-educated and somehow uh, you know that people are not you know 
they're not, it's not valid, if you like, their opinions are not valid because they're not educated. And yet, the interesting thing is, is that actually when you look at the situation, we've had, this has been in the news a bit lately, it was in the Spectator article, and it actually even got into Parliament, that, that white working class boys now are seriously the lowest group when it comes to education, aren't they? This is actually, this is, goes against the whole narrative, mm. I understand. Going all the way up, yeah, going all the way up to university. Um, this is an important point, isn't it? That the whole concept of white privilege, which I don't think would have been around when, when you wrote this book, no, would it? No. Not, not, not quite. Uh, this is really sort of now, this puts an unemployed Nottingham miner in the same category as the Queen, doesn't mm. it? They're both white, they're both privileged. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of part of that in a way because I, I know you said culture historian, and you know, it's been described as historian, but um, I didn't get exams, I didn't go to university, so it's a strange thing because I don't have anything that would make me really be considered a historian. Um, I've actually did have some involvement about 12 years ago, about 12 years ago, working with. Um, a think tank in setting up a supplementary school to address this, not just for white kids, but for everyone yeah. in poor urban areas. Um, and, it, and it was very interesting because when I spoke to, I went to you know, a number of estates, that were almost like sink estates in a way, and a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the kind of white parents that were left in those areas said that they thought if they saw the word community, because that's kind of, you know, we're going to do it in a, a, a settlement house. They said they never thought it was for them. So it's very interesting because they felt marginalised by that and just kind of had, had closed off. Because the actual word community, they immediately turned them yeah. off. Yeah. Well, well no, not like turned them off. They just, assumed, they just assumed the word community meant ethnic community. Yeah, yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. And, and so you get around that, but the question I think that we were asking then, and, and it's still relevant now, is why now? Why, why has this happened now? And is it happening in areas where... Um, these white boys make up a minority. Um, ben Bradley's been looking at this, you know, the Tory MPs have been looking at this and mentioned it in the, uh, in the comments, I think. The, because partly to do with what you mentioned earlier, no one, the emphasis has been, this is not the whole, this is not the whole reason, I'm sure, but the emphasis has been so much on the identity politics and the yeah. ethnicity and the minority and minority groups that the social class aspect has not been featured and the ones that have suffered from that. Um, are probably, you know, white working class kids and white working class boys. The other thing is with all this stuff, which um, not everyone wants to go to university. It's a very Blairite thing, that idea of everyone, mm -hmm. you know, especially the Mickey Mouse's courses that they're doing, you know. Um, people want, some people want apprenticeships. Some people, yeah, want, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. and that is, that is much more, um, you know that that would probably be a bit a better option for a lot of people, especially when you look at the state of these, you know, these courses now. The people well, who were mentioned earlier. I think the yes, exactly. I think the, this is, uh, you know, the, these whole sort of the humanities, the, the gender studies, the uh, media studies, all of these things. Um, basically, uh, they've sold people uh, down the river, actually, mm. haven't mm. they? Because all these people, it, it, it's getting to the point now where actually you. You, when younger people say, I want to go to university, or should I go to university, you're almost saying to them, well, actually, really think about it before mm. you do. Mm. Whereas in the past, you know, it was definitely, oh, yes, you've, mm. got to do, you've got to do that. 
You've also written, uh, Michael, about Black Lives Matter, haven't you? Mm. And, uh, and, and, and about what's been going on. What do you think, how seriously do you take the protests and things that we've seen over the past two months? Um, I think the, um, well, I mean, I, I think they're serious because of the, the damage and the chaos that's been caused. And I think essentially, I think the movement's essentially built on a lie anyway. But the, um, the, the lie would be? Well, in terms of stats, in terms mm. of, you know, statistics as far as police brutality and who dies, you know, it, it, it's out there and loads of people have commented on this. And mm. But I, I think if you, if you take away from that, I don't think, as a movement, I don't think Black, Black Lives Matter might go the way of the Black Panthers. Do you know what I mean? In 10 years' time, if they haven't shot each other, they'd be evangelicals and Republicans. Mm. You know, that's mm. probably what's going to happen. Mm. But I think the seriousness comes from the people that complied with it. That, that's what I think is really serious. I think the business, big business, um, the media, the Church of England, how quickly they complied to that, mm. you know, mm. without looking at what this movement is about, what, which, which is out there, it's pretty obvious what it's about. And even, even if you take that out of the equation, they didn't actually address the chaos. They didn't, ex they, especially in America, mm. you know, the murder of David Dawn, the um, ex-police captain, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't address the impact on neighbourhoods, um, like businesses, you know, that, I think that was, that was quite shocking, I mean, that is what I think is worrying, is the seriousness, that, when you talk about seriousness, I think is the, um, is, is the, how quickly people comply to it, I don't mean people out there, I mean within the media, yeah, the institutions, the institutions, I mean, to the point where you'd, you know, you'd go on your Spotify playlist and the first thing you see is recommendations for Black Lives Matter, you know. Mm -hmm. You had those, those kind of um, weedy anchormen where they're sort of insipid women sat next to them on coaches saying, oh, I'm just this poor white woman, please tell me about, you know, yeah, 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 how yeah. terrible it is to be black in 20, you know, 2020. Um, that, that was what I found alarming and I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of, you know, the, the, talking about the education and people's knowledge, they mock these people, they mock these people that voted Brexit and everything else, but they are, that's the other thing that's happened in the last 15 years, they are a lot more savvy about this stuff than you think. About the media. About uh, the yeah, media, yeah, yeah, yeah. about yeah. how yeah. they're primed, about the responses, they know, I mentioned this in the article, they know that racism in now is just this lucrative industry where the word will just, the remit changes constantly, mm. you know, it's a booming industry. And um, they know that Grooming gangs will de be deracialized. You know they—they're they, aware of all this stuff. There were a lot. There were, which 15 years ago, you know, probably not so much. But and I think that is partly to do with social media, like I said, mm. finding, mm. you know, recognizing voices over there. The other thing I think with Black Lives Matter, not just Black Lives Matter, but all these, um, you know, these 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 movements or these these marches, which which I don't, you know. I've, I've written about it in the book, because the book covers almost years ago, I know it's 15 years ago, but it did cover almost 200 years. And so you look within that, uh, the history of protest, you know, you mm. see trade unionism, civil rights in the States, you see the suffragette movement, people that actually put themselves on the line because their life depended on it to bring about change, which has no connection with any of this stuff as far no. as I can see now. And I think the problem with it is, and the seriousness of it, where it's serious, is it's almost like we have to stop their madness become an normality, because you look at the streets of London before the pandemic and other major cities, every week there is something, yeah. Instinction Rebellion, Black Lives Matter, something else, 
you think, oh, it must be a slow week for climate change this week because suddenly yes, it's yeah, racism. Yeah. And you think, this, is, this kills protest or what protest should be about because I don't believe the passion's there, I don't believe the conviction's there. I think it's almost like take, find a kick out or a bounty for these people. It really is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that is worrying because that is the normality. You walk mm-hmm. around London um, and you think this, this, is, this is what... It, you, you did it with the statues. Within a week, you suddenly thought, this, this is our capital, mm-hmm. this is it. When did you actually leave London yourself? Uh, well, I, dis- I, I disappeared to the Essex coast. Right. And then <laughs> lovely. Uh, <laughs> lovely. It place. was. Yeah. Well, Essex is great. Essex is really underrated. Yeah. Um, and then I came back to London, and then I went to the West Country. Okay. Uh, Only because I'm poor and common, not because of white flyer. <laughs> no, no. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think uh, we are seeing something strange happen with London at the moment. Mm. I mean, well, you, you come back on trips like you're here on a trip mm. at the moment, and I'm born and bred London, I still live and work here. Mm. Uh, I can't help feeling there's something historic happening as a result of this whole COVID thing. Mm. Um, that London essentially is, has changed permanently as a result. Of, this is my fear, that I can't see it mm. coming back. Or do you think I'm being too melodramatic about this? Well, I think walking around, you feel that. It's like, uh, you know, I feel like, as I say in that piece, you feel like, uh, you know, you feel like a ghost walking through um, a once familiar city and you look at these, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? It's that Philip Larkin thing where he says, you look, at, you look up at the foreheads of buildings. And I find myself doing that. I think I said to you earlier, you know, I, I kind of come in on the train and I was almost looking for a low-rise council flats from the 60s with relief, thinking, oh, they're still there, you know, because yes. it's kind of Gotham City. Yeah. And that's, that's the other thing that, w- which is interesting in terms of the book 15 years on and doing this article now, is, of course, you're talking a lot, you're talking about gentrification of areas like mm. Elephant and Castle and the Old Kent Road, which when I was growing up, I mean, cheapest street on the Monopoly board, no one wanted to live there, you know, and no mm. one could buy there if they did, mm. you know. And I still got relatives older relatives that are still there, and they feel quite landlocked because they don't recognise it, you know, for so many reasons. But um, I I don't know, I think what's missing as well is that thing I said earlier, I don't think there's any kind of unity with with the capital. I don't think Mm. it feels like really itinerant. It feels like, I don't know, I find a lot of people don't seem to have that investment that maybe Londoners, which which is nothing to do, I'm not talking in terms of race, I'm talking in terms of a sense of connection. Mm. Um, That tribe I talked about earlier that were expecting to stay on those same streets, um, you know, for most of their lives and work locally. Uh, That kind of sense of the investment that comes with that in terms of a sense of belonging or participating. I don't find, I don't see that's there. Well, you see, I I would say that it hasn't been there for a long time, Mm. but there's a narrative in place. Mm. Because the thing is, is if you think of being a Londoner, mm. uh, people were always a bit you know, kind of like grumbling about London, bloody, you know. But the fact is, they they were so organically from it. Mm. Uh, whereas, because now that that's gone, you have to impose a narrative, which yeah. is there's this wonderful city in a way, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I know. You know. If you look at the standard newspaper, it's yeah, this constant boosterism. This one, you should think, wait a minute, there's, there was something actually basically temperamentally 
not write about that. London yeah. was never actually like that. Mm. But it's, I think it's comes from the fact that it's a realisation that it isn't unified, actually. Mm. It isn't unified. Well, I think as well, there's, if, if you talk about, you know, I, I talk in, I, I mentioned in the article, you, to talk about this stuff for me is about history rather than nostalgia, because I mean, we're all ambivalent about where we grew up, you know, and that kind of experience. But I think we've, um, uh, I, I think with with London, when you talk about this, or when you talk about even history in terms of London or a London experience, um, it's dismissed as you are talking about something that's mythical. Mm. But I think really, the, it's it's the present they talk about that's mythical, mm. you know, mm. because because there's so many flaws and there's so many issues. There's good things, but I think address those, you know. Mm. And then start on about the, the, you know, the singing and the dancing and the alfresco dining, you know. I couldn't agree with you more, M Michael. Thank you very much. Yeah, was a, f f that is indeed it. No, it's just like fl flown past. Um, so, Michael's article is in this month's uh, magazine, The Critic, which he writes for regularly. And the book again, which you can get, I'm sure, on Amazon. Uh, Michael Collins, The Likes of Us, a biography of the white working class. Uh, it's a wonderful read. Okay. Thank you very, very much again. Thank you, Michael. And uh, thank you for watching. And uh, do join us again next week. Thank you. Bye.